healing is here. Not because I say so. Not because it's a song that they just sang. But healing is here because the healer is here. I don't know what you came here in need of healing of. It might be financial. It might be matrimonial. It might be physical. It might be spiritual. The Bible says a wounded spirit, who can bear it? I don't know who can bear it, but I do know who can heal it. His name is Jesus. I'm going to be preaching to you this night. I say preaching. I feel like God wants to reach more than he wants me to preach. From this subject, hope has a name, and it is Jesus. If you would, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter 3.15. of the Lord says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Somebody say the hope that is in you. 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Lord Jesus, your word is already anointed. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to deliver what you have given me this night with boldness and compassion. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that they are acceptable in your sight. Let the word this night be mixed with faith, that it may be profitable to the body. Hide me behind the cross, get me out of the way. And everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe that it is the will of God that each and every one of you leave here tonight full of hope. Amen. It is often said that you can go weeks without food, days without water, minutes without air, but you cannot go five seconds without hope. Tikva is the Hebrew word for hope. It means expectation. It also means cord or rope. The first time that it was used in the Bible, Rahab is told to tie this cord or hope or expectation of scarlet thread in the window. Psalms 71.5 says, For thou art my hope, or thou art my expectation, O Lord. Thou art my Thou art my trust from my youth. Your hope is no better than what you put it in. The world's description of hope is not the same as a born-again believer's. Webster's 
1828 dictionary defines hope as a confident expectation of good. You and I would agree because of who we place our hope and our faith in that it is a confident expectation of good. Yet to the world, hope is merely wishful thinking. Give you a couple examples. I'm going to continue to smoke cigarettes and hope I don't get cancer. That's wishful thinking. I'm going to play the lottery and hope that I win. That's wishful thinking. Pastor Darren, I'm looking at you. Back in the day, I don't, I don't know. No, I'm not talking about playing the lottery. <laughs> but, 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 but something was quickened to me when I looked at you. I don't know about now, but back in the day, if Bell's Panthers were playing the White Rat Tigers, for them to beat us would be wishful thinking. <laughs> Let me hit a little closer to home. I'm going to live however I want to and make heaven my home. That's wishful thinking. You cannot have faith without hope. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So without hope, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's break that down just for a minute. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read over scripture without really digging into it. Faith is the substance. What is substance? It's something that's tangible. It's something that you can hold on to. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I said hope is expectation. Evidence. Y'all probably hadn't had the privilege of standing before a, a judge and a jury, but the DA presents evidence, which is what? Proof. So faith is the thing that you are holding on to with expectation and proof even though you can't see it. The Bible describes hope as the anchor for the soul. Hope has a name. Somebody say that name. Jesus. Hebrews 6, 18 through 19 that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. If you know Jesus, you know that he is sure and steadfast. In this life, we are going to have storms. The only way to endure the storms is to have an anchor that is sure and steadfast. Storms such as financial, mental, physical, spiritual, matrimonial, so forth and so on. Storms are inevitable. But if Jesus is your anchor, you'll be immovable. I don't know if you have ever been on a boat, but it is easy to drift. Even on a calm day, you, it, you are going to drift. Your spiritual life is the same way. If you don't wake up each morning and anchor yourself in the word, anchor yourself in prayer, anchor yourself to an altar, you are going to slowly drift. Why would you anchor yourself to an altar? Because we are a living sacrifice. Something that is alive can be taken off. We are constantly drifting if we are not anchored. Hope 
an anchor of the soul. Hope has a name. Somebody say that name. Jesus. Amen. Storms and trials really reveal who and what you are anchored to. In general, when storms come to people of this world, they reach to everything but Jesus for their hope. I know when I was in this world, I reached to Jack Daniels, not Jesus Christ. I called upon the dope man, not the deliverer. I looked for the dealer, not the healer. And as long as I had dope, I had hope. But this world gives you a false hope. The bottle always runs dry. The dealer always runs out. The high always comes down. It is a hope that is deferred. And deferred hope maketh the heart sick. It is a hunger that is never satisfied. It is a thirst that is never quenched. Oh, but when I got to Jesus, he gave me that living water. And whosoever shall drink of this water shall never thirst. But the water that he gave me, the water that he gave you, shall spring up in us unto everlasting life. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Ghost? Hope has a name, and it's Jesus. We should... Speaking of that living water, Jesus was addressing the Samaritan woman. We should have a similar response to that Samaritan woman. She, she sat down her water pot, ran to town and said, come, let me show you a man that told me all ever I did. We should be on our jobs. We should be in the marketplaces. We should be on the car lot saying, come, let me show you a man who forgave me all ever I did. If you are the only one with the Holy Ghost on your job, you are the only hope on your job. And it's not you that the hope is in, but it is Christ that is in you, which is the hope of glory. This world is full of unrighteousness, fornicators, idolaters, thieves, drunkards, abusers of others and themselves. And the Bible clearly reads, those that are so shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But there is hope for them. For such were some of you. And such was I. But we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified in what? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I'm about to preach this like I feel it. Don't tell me that the name of Jesus isn't essential for salvation. For there is salvation in none other. Don't tell me that the Holy Ghost is optional. For it is what seals you. It is the earnest of your inheritance. Pastor, speaking of an inheritance... I'm quite sure that your will reads, everyone on there has the name Gilbert, and it is your sons and your daughters. Media team, I didn't plan on going here, but if you would, please put up Isaiah 53, verse 8, please. 
very familiar portion of scripture, Isaiah 51, 53, 1 through 7. Y'all can read that on your own time. But it's, it's referring to Jesus. I've overlooked this scripture. I, I, it's never stood out to me until a couple weeks ago. This is verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Listen to what the prophet asked. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. What is he asking? Who's going to carry on his name? Who's going to receive his inheritance? I tell you who's going to carry on his name. Whosoever repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins. You may have went down, Darren James Gilbert, but you came up, Darren James Gilbert, Jesus. You may have went down, Ash Tories, but you came up, Ash Tories, Jesus. You may have went down, Mary Bush, baby, but you came up, Mary Bush, Jesus. Woo! The name. And the Spirit are both mandatory. Yes. Yes. Period. I feel like putting an exclamation mark on the end of that, but I'm just going to stick with period. There is hope for you tonight. There is hope for your family. There is hope for your coworkers. There is hope for your friends. And his name is Jesus. You may feel as if you have fallen too many times. In the name of Jesus, get up. If you have known me longer than three years, you've known I've fallen many a times and have fallen hard. If you've known me from three years up, then believe me, I don't look like what I've been through. The biggest tragedy isn't falling down. The biggest tragedy is not getting up. There was a time, you know, I was, I was like, I don't know if I can be forgiven for this again. Well, do you believe the word of God? It's a rhetorical question, but I believe everybody in here believes the word of God. Peter, Peter asked Jesus, he said, Master, how many times am I to forgive my brother when he repents as he was given as as if he was given some generous number seven jesus said nay i say unto thee 70 times seven make no mistake about it i'm not giving you a license to sin but what i'm saying is if you fall down get up god isn't going to ask us or expect us to do something that he isn't going to do Brother Ash, you knew me before Christ. If y'all known where I come from and what I've been through, you'd know why I praise him like I do. You'd know why I worship him like I do. You would know why I pray like I do. Pastor, the Bible speaks of going from glory to glory. There's been times in my walk early on, I've went from glory to grossness. I went from glory to straight up guilty. I went from glory to gluttony. Have a red hot Sunday afternoon service and then go overeat. It happens. 
I've went from running the aisles to running dope. Now, it's been four years, but I'm, some of y'all don't know. Anyway, it happens. And, I mean, that, 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 that broke me. Um, how do you recover from this? How can I forgive, be forgiven for this again? And then you hear, come, let us reason together. Though thy sins be as scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. Though they be red as chrism, I shall make them as wool. The Bible says to boldly come before the throne room of grace. I have never once boldly come before the throne room of grace when I was needing forgiveness. But what I've done is, is I've humbled myself at his feet. Jesus, I said I'd never do it again, but I've done it. Yeah, yeah. I ask that you would please forgive me. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, God, I said I'd never do it. I made a vow and I broke it. But if you could pick me up this one last time, Lord, I'll never do it again. Yeah. And he'll pick you up. Yeah. He'll pick you up. Yeah. Put your hope in Jesus. He will never fail you. You will fail you. You will fail him, but he will never fail you. Our God, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the God of forgiveness, the God of restoration, the God of transformation, and the God of hope. I'm speaking to you tonight on hope. I would like to leave you tonight with some encouraging words of hope in Scripture. John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for 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 you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, that where I am ye may be also. Romans 8.28. Hope. Ex, uh, confident expectation of good. Yeah. Many times we leave off the three words that begin this scripture and we just say, and we know, or we just say, all things work together. Yeah. But let's put some confidence in that. Yeah. And we know yeah. that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Church, it's time to get up it's time to pray up. It's time to lift your heads up because we're about to go up. Our redemption draweth nigh. If y'all would, stand to your feet and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Mighty God, we want to thank you for your word that was went forth this day. In the name of Jesus, mighty God, I pray that it fell on 
fertile soil, that it would become deeply rooted and bring forth much fruit for the furtherance of your kingdom. It is my heart's desire, and I believe that it is your will that your people live, leave here this night full of hope. In Jesus' name. Brother Luke, come declare what thus saith the word of the Lord tonight. Thank you, Brother Trevor. The attribute of God that I got to speak to you about tonight is love. And if there was a title for it tonight, I would call it God is love. There's a lot of things that God are. There's a lot of attributes of God. You'll hear more next week. Hope. Peace. Joy. All of, they're all attributes of God. There's many things, but I'm going to show you in Scripture tonight that truly the essence of God is God is love. He's where love started. He's the only place where true love is found. That's just who he is. He's love. And we don't grasp it. Our flesh inhibits us from truly understanding the love that God really is. But we're going to try tonight by getting into his word to understand the kind of love that God is that made him come down and robe himself in flesh and be a sacrifice for us. And when I started thinking about God as love, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter of love. And there's a lot of great stuff in Corinthians 13. There's a lot of stuff about what love really is and how love manifest itself and how we should love and those are all things that all start and come from God by how he loves us and he's instructing us on how to love like he loves so there's a lot of great stuff in there and it ends with faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love so I think it's worthy that we spend a little time learning about his love when God tells you some great things when you hear the first thing of those is faith and without faith it's impossible to please God. But still greater than faith is love. It's important to God that we understand love. And to understand love, we have to really get into who he is. And in that chapter, King James actually is one of the only translations I could find that translates love as charity. And that's what the, so the actual King James is faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. And when you look up the definition of charity, the modern day of charity doesn't seem to fit with, with what that's saying. But if you go a little deeper, you go back and they call it the archaic definition, which just means old. The old definition of charity is love for humankind. So you got faith and hope, but God says the greatest of these is love for humankind. Because that's God. He loves us so much and we can't truly grasp it. So we have to search and we have to try to really get into it. Because that's just the essence of who God is. He's love. He is love. He is true love. So I'm starting in 1 John chapter 4. Starting in verse 8. 
He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You could stop right there. You could spend a whole sermon on that first part. If you don't love, you don't know God, because God is love. It's very simple. To God, it's very simple. I'm love. That's what he's saying. But he goes on to say, and this was manifested, the love of God towards us. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. So now he's saying, I am love, and here is how my love manifested unto you. He said, here is love. Not that we loved God, because we don't know how to love the way God loves. We're not the ones who define what love is. Our flesh and our nature prohibits us from defining what it is. But he says, but no, it's that God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He said, I'm going to robe myself in the flesh that inhibits you. Because I love you so much and I cannot let you stay separated from me. So I'm going to robe myself in flesh. Because I love you and I'm going to come down and I am going to be the sacrifice for your sins. And you notice there, it doesn't say that God is loving. It says God is love, not that he's loving. Because loving is an adjective used to describe people. It's not an adjective used to describe God. It's actually who he is. God is love. Because when you're just loving, when you're in love, you can fall out of love. That kind of love is fleeting. But God's kind of love is pure. It stands forever. So God is not a loving God. God is love. All love dwells in God. That's who he is. So that's why the Bible doesn't, it doesn't mistake when it says God is love. It didn't mean to say God is loving and he's loving towards us. It meant to say God is Love, Because love is the prevailing and the defining characteristic of who God is. He came because he is love. We have this Christmas season because God is love. He came as a sacrifice for our sin because he is love. He is the only true love. Love is what made him create us first. Because when, when he is true love, and in our minute understanding of what love is, the little bit that we can truly grasp, we want love reciprocated. Love wants to be shared. But God is the purest form of love. He is the heart, the true essence of love. And he wanted that love reciprocated. So that is why we were created in the first place, because he wanted to love. And he created us to love him back, to have that love reciprocated. So that's why we first came to be, and that is why he came as a sacrifice. That's why he decided to come down, make himself a man, because he loved us so much, and he just he couldn't let us go. He said, I'm not letting you go. I'm going to come down and make a way, because I love you that much, because his love is true. His love is great. He has great love for us that we can't really understand because he created us in his own image. That's how much he loved us. Nothing else was created in God's image. We were. Mankind. That's why the greatest of these is love 
for mankind because God created us in his image because he loves us so much. And it's why he chose to robe himself in flesh and come down for the sole purpose. It wasn't for the miracles. It wasn't for the sermons. Those were all part of those are all part of the plan. But the end purpose was for redeeming us. He had to make a way for us to find our way back into connection with God. That's how much he loved us. God is love. John 3.16. If 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter of love, John 3.16 is the verse of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That was the end goal. God loved so much they said, I got to come and be a sacrifice so that they can have everlasting life. But God sent not his son into the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. The reason Christmas is, is like pastors always said, it's not for the celebrations. They're great. It's not for the music. That's fun and great. It's not for the program we're going to have next week. It's not for family gatherings. It's not for all of that. The reason Christmas exists is because God's love is so great that he came not to condemn us, which would have been his right. He could have wiped the whole slate clean and started over. It was in his power. He has all power. He could have done anything he wanted to do, but he loved us because he's a real love. He's not a fleeting love. He's not a love that fails. It never falters. He said, I love them too much, so I'm going to come down to save them. And we know when he did that, he sees the end from the beginning. He knows everything. None of it surprises him. None of it catches him off guard. He sees the beginning from the end, and he knew from the very beginning that he was going to have to come and save us. He was going to have to come and redeem us, and he knew that to do that, he was going to have to make the ultimate act of love, sacrificing himself for us. That selfless love that God showed us what it could be. That's what we're trying to understand and grasp. And when he looked at that, when he looked at the end from the beginning, Brother Trevor, he looked. He looked at every gross thing we're going to do. He looked at every time we fail. Brother, I feel you. If you knew me 15 years ago, you wouldn't know why. Why could I be up here even... I have no right to be up here talking about the word of God to you, but God loves. That's all I can say is God loves so much. And he looked at it and he saw. He saw every time I was going to grow up in a godly household with godly parents, with strong Bible teaching my whole life. And he still saw how far I would fall. He still saw every gross thing I would ever do. But because he is love, not because he's loving, but because he is love, he still came. He still came to save me, to save you, to save all of the world that would just believe and accept that that's what he wanted to do. That's what Christmas is all about. He did it so that we could overcome our sinful nature and learn to love more like he loves. 
Learn to forget what the world teaches us is love, what this flesh tells us is love, and start trying to understand his love. That's what we're supposed to do. The Bible tells us we're supposed to walk in that love. Ephesians 5 and 2. I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation on this one. And it says, And continue to walk, surrender to the extravagant love of Christ. For he surrendered his life as sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God. Like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance. He is love. When a true act of love, like the sacrifice when you don't deserve it, the punishment when you don't deserve it, that kind of love was pleasing. It says pleasing to God. We know Jesus was God. It pleased himself, the aroma of it. What pleasing was the, the reciprocation that could come when love can be reciprocated, when we can start to try and learn and understand and walk in God's love. Not just love God. Not just love others. That's important. But we got to walk in God's love. We can't let it be the love that we learn from this world or from what our flesh tells us is love. It's got to be a godly love, a love that is God. We have to walk in that. And when we walk in God's love, that's what covers that stench of our sin. That's when we get that sweet aroma of God, that righteousness that smells so sweet to him. We can't get it without his love. We can't get it from anything we do. It can only come because he is love. His love, that's what makes us more like him. That's what makes it where he can look at us and not see the sin. That's how he can cast it as far as the east is from the west. He can't see it anymore because when we start to love like God, he sees himself in us and he's pleased with what he sees. If you want to please God, you better learn to love like God. That's how we get more like him, and that's how we overcome our nature that's constantly fighting against that. It's constantly trying to contradict it and convince us it's something different. But it's not God's love. God is love. The Bible tells us that the world is going to recognize us as children of God because of what? A love one for another. Even the world recognizes when a love is not like a worldly love. They recognize when it's a godly love. And it says they're going to recognize us by that love. That's what if we want to be more like God, if we want to talk about looking more like Jesus and being more like Jesus, we want to talk about being holy and righteous, we better start loving like God loves. That's what God's love can do. We literally are more recognizable as being in Jesus' image when we walk in his love. We literally look more like Jesus when we walk in God's love. That's what the world sees. It's not physical, but there's something that is just different. I've heard it all the time. People say, I don't know. I've heard people, I remember when I was a kid, people would walk up to my mom and be like, I don't know what it is. But they feel something. 
They don't understand it, but they recognize that it's something that's got to be from God. It's got to be God's love. We've got to understand it and get deeper into it, what God is all about, and he's all about love. Ephesians 5 and 25. Again, I'm reading the Passion Translation. It says, Husbands, you're to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. When we love like God, that's when we can overcome especially our Adamic nature, which has a lot of harshness. It has a lot of wrath. It has anger, strife. It can be hurtful. But when we love like God, that's when we can, it says the same tender devotion. If we want to understand that tenderness and love with tenderness, what we want to do is share the truth and love. What does that really mean? It means share the truth without being so harsh about it and, being, and tearing down. But the world tells us that that's not love. They tell us that's hate. That's hate to share truth with somebody. No matter how soft you do it, but the world has perverted and twisted what love is, and they've literally turned it into an opposite. They've turned it into love is hate. But that's not God. God is love, and he's telling us, you, my children, are going to be known by how you love. And I want you to share my truth and love, and I want you to be tender. As I am to you, I want you to be tender to those that you love. That's when we can start putting aside this flesh and start doing things the way God wants us to do them. It goes on to say, for he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. That's God's love. So God is love. That means love was made manifest in the flesh. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was love. Love was with God. And if we want to get holy, and we want to get pure, we want to be changed, and we want to not be following after our flesh anymore, then we've got to start understanding that. We've got to start loving the way God loves. For God is love. That's just who He is. It's His love that actually sanctifies us and makes us clean for Him. Without His love, we have no access to mercy. We have no access to grace because we do not deserve it. But his love is so great. That's why we have access to that. That's how we get clean. That's how we get sanctified. That's how he can make us righteous in his image because of his love. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags to him. So no matter how much we think we can love and be good people, it ain't going to work for God. We got to have his love. We got to love the way he loves. But the world continually just confuses, and, and it's gotten so much worse, rapidly worse. How we've gone from just love being tolerance to now love, if you don't tolerate sin, then you're hateful. The world has lost it. The world doesn't understand God's love. That's why they can recognize it so easily. That's why now it's all the more important that we walk in God's love. Because they're going to recognize that difference. 
because the world's telling them over and over that love is never contradicting anything anyone wants to do. Love is never setting a boundary. Love is never stopping someone from doing what feels good. The emotion of love in this world has gotten totally perverted. It's become totally carnal. That's all it is. It's a physical thing. It's something they can touch, feel, taste, smell. That's what it's turned into, but that is not the love that comes from God. It's been twisted and turned into something completely opposite now. God's love has to overcome, and we're the ones that got to show it to the world. That's why he came, so that we could see what true love is, and we could start to try and walk in that, start to try and reciprocate that, and show a world that is lost and dying what true love is. Because the world doesn't know. They think it's you know, acceptance and justification for anything and everything. That's love, but that's not that's not true love at all. That's convenience. That's convenience. We're just not going to kick against the pricks anymore. We're just not going to fight it. That's love. Just don't fight it anymore. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's not love. True love is sacrifice. That's what God's showing us. He's shown us several times already. True love is sacrifice. Go to John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. That's not convenient. That's not easy. That's not something that's just cheap. That's got a cost associated with it. Greater love. We've got to start accessing that greater love and understanding what it truly is. That's what started that night in Bethlehem. It was a great love that God wanted us to understand. The greatest love of all started with sacrifice. He could have come as a king. He could have lived royally. He could have had everything made available. He could have proclaimed it to the world. He could have had the angels appear in the sky around the whole world to every human being and said, God has come. That would have been the easy, convenient way. It started with sacrifice. He sacrificed all that convenience and easiness, and he came humbly. He came humbly to a virgin in a dirty manger in a tiny town that meant nothing to anyone that wasn't from that area. That's how he chose to come. It started showing us. He was just showing us a little bit at first. He's like, this is how I chose to come because I love you so much, but I'm showing you that love is not proud. Go back to Corinthians 13. Love is not boastful. It doesn't puff itself up. comes humbly. He says, this is how I, God, who created everything, chose to come. Because I love so much. That is love. It's not convenience. It's sacrifice. And he knew. He knew that it's all going to lead from there. From the dirty way he came into the world to the dirty way he went out on a cross. Sacrifice. Greater love hath no man than this. Sum it up to sacrifice that's love that's God's love that's true love that's what he's saying in all these scriptures he's wanting us to say I want you to love each other so much that you're willing to sacrifice for each other husbands I want you to love your wives so much that you're willing to sacrifice for them I want you to love me so much that you're willing to sacrifice for me 
That's what started on Christmas. It's all because he truly is love. He's not just a loving emotion. He's not a fleeting thing. He is love, made flesh to dwell among us. God is love. God bless you. Let's love this Christmas season. Let's try and understand. Let's come back next Wednesday. I can't wait. Hear about peace and joy. We all need a little peace and we all need joy. Let's pray before we go.